So good to worship with you guys this morning, come before the Lord together. My name is Seth, I'm the youth pastor, student ministry pastor around these parts. If you're not familiar with who I am, I'd love to meet you. I'll be hanging out in the lobby after the service today. Especially if you're a student or a family with some students, I'd love to get connected with you guys. Hey, I'm excited to bring the word to you today. We've been going through this series, uh, Ancient History, looking at the life of Moses. Last week, Pastor Aaron brought the word about uh, Moses, baby Moses in a basket. I'm going to pick up with the, uh, the burning bush encounter that we have here today. Uh, we, we know this story, the, the big picture of this story is, is God doing a work of redeeming his people and the, the people of Israel crying out to God that he might hear their prayers and respond, that, that he might prove himself to be a God of action, right? Well, I just want to share a quick anecdote with you, a little story, a little, little Seth story with you. On Monday, February 27th, Pastor Chad and I had a chance to take a team of people to Washington, D.C. to visit the Museum of the Bible and see the horse and his boy, the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, the horse and his boy. There's a couple pictures we'll throw up there. It was an incredible performance. I was so blessed. I'm not like a big theater guru, but this was awesome. I mean, maybe it was so awesome because most of my youth pastoring is like going to middle school performances, um, but I love those too. But this was really cool. It was really fun. And so I'm driving the 15 passenger van and Pastor Chad's driving a minivan that's packed full and we meet some other people there with their cars. And uh, well, this is the day that um, there was a big looming ice snowstorm that was gonna come in the evening, right? And some schools let out early that day. Uh, and so we were like, oh no, what should we do? Should we should we skip the Washington Monument and head home? And we're like, no, we think we'll be okay. We can drive cautiously. You know, Pastor Chad and I were, well, we're not risk takers, but we weren't trying to, we weren't trying to be foolish, but we were like, I think we can drive cautiously on the way home. So some, some folks decided to go because they were like, I don't want to hit the storm, so they left early. Okay, that's cool. So a couple hours go by, and uh, we're up in the monument, and, and it's like, oh man, the, the ice storm hit at that three o'clock hour, and it's going to hit later in like four or five hours again, and we're like, okay, should we hustle and get back? And some, some folks decided that they would leave at that point uh, to get back early before the second half of the, the snowstorm hit. Well, Pastor Chad and I were like, well, we're going to stay. We're going to keep embracing Washington, D.C. for a couple more hours. Well, Rob Cathcart had gotten home a couple hours before us. He texted, he said, hey man, just so you know, um, by the way, I wasn't reading this text while I was driving, somebody else was. <laughs> he texted and said, just so you know, everything's rain until you hit Tyrone. And then Tyrone from Tyrone to State College was real nasty. So sure enough, we hit a lot of rain from DC to Tyrone, raining hard, you know, the kind of rain where you're just kind of like white knuckled through. And uh, it wasn't that way the whole way, but it was pretty bad sometimes. And then as soon as we hit Tyrone, it was like snow, ice, sleet, hail. It was nasty. It was like drive slow and don't mess up, right? And uh, as soon as we hit Tyrone, there's an accident just up uh, a little bit ahead of us. So we were stopped dead for like 10 minutes or so. And uh, then the, the emergency vehicles clear everything and we keep going on our way. I'm telling you this story to say in the morning, Pastor Chad, he said, Seth, would you just pray for our team this morning before we go? And it's something that I like to do with my kids as well. We're in their car. We're going to go on a road trip. We always pray for traveling mercies. Uh, I don't know if that's like a weird saying or, or a phrase, but like I can remember my grandparents praying for traveling mercies. My mom always praying for traveling mercies. So we get in the car. Okay, this morning, there's like 15, 20 of us. I said, God, would you just bless us with traveling mercies? We know that there's some storms coming. We want to just be safe on the road. 
So the, the, the emergency vehicles clear the road and we're on the ice and snow in Tyrone and we're going and all of a sudden I hear this loud rumbling noise. And I'm like, oh no, is there a dinosaur? Uh, so my mind went to, I'm a dad. So like I go right to dinosaurs with my kids, right? It wasn't a dinosaur, it was a volcano. It wasn't a central Pennsylvania volcano. It was a snow plow. So the, the road's clear, we're trucking along, a snow plow comes up behind us, goes around us, and then leads us all the way from Tyrone to State College to get home. It was like, okay, praise God, yeah. Hey, look, I know that's a simple story, and I don't always get to see, like, answers to prayers immediately, but we prayed for traveling mercies, and God sent a snow plow to lead us all the way home. We did 25 miles an hour all the way from Tyrone to State College. It was a lot longer than we had anticipated, but we got home safe and sound, and it was a cool answer to prayer. So praise God for that. And I just share that story with you because I thought it was relevant. We're going to be talking about Moses and, and the people of Israel crying out to God, God, would you please see us and hear us and know us, send us a rescuer, send us a redeemer. That's what we're picking up here today in Exodus chapter 3. So if you have the Word of God, you want to turn there with me to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be at this morning. And I've got four main points for you as we look at Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at Moses' encounter. We're going to look at the commission he has. We're going to look at a couple questions he has. And we're going to look at the promises he receives. So Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Okay, let's just let's pause right away. Okay, sorry, I know, I just started reading and I'm pausing already. But like, do you remember why Moses is in Midian to begin with? Moses is in Midian because he killed an Egyptian. He, he was raised in the house of Pharaoh, right? He got scooped up out of the basket by Pharaoh's daughter, and now he's raised in the house of Pharaoh until he's about the age of 40. And he's having this like, coming of age tale or this realization somehow he sees an Egyptian guard beating a Hebrew one of his own people and he decides to rebel and he's angry about it so he he throws down on the Egyptian guard and he kills him and he hides him in the sand well Pharaoh finds out about what happens and Pharaoh wants to kill Moses because of this it's, it's, it's against the law he, he defiled the gods he killed an Egyptian so Moses runs away in fear for his life, right? And he runs all the way to Midian. And this is not like a short jog. This is like walking from State College to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, but it's all desert. It's like barren. It's hot. This was a hard journey for Moses to get through. This is why Moses is in Midian, okay? So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. If you're taking notes, here's the bottom line to this encounter portion. 
The encounter is life-changing. The encounter is life-changing. Moses comes to the bush. He sees the bush burning. And Moses didn't go up and like introduce himself to the bush. Hello, my name is Moses. How are you? No, God calls him directly from the bush. Moses, Moses. And he draws him in. He is present with the holy God. And Moses postures himself what? Hiding and fearful. Does that story sound familiar? Like anywhere before Moses where someone had done something wrong and then their name was called and then they hid because they were afraid of the presence of God? Adam and Eve maybe? There's other moments where God appears before his people and they are standing on holy ground. Joshua finds himself standing on holy ground in Joshua 15.5. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. What about Isaiah and his encounter with the holy in his vision in Isaiah 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he, covered, and with two, he flew. And one called to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at his voice of the one who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I can't help but think about the disciples as well and their encounter with the holy God, right? Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing for their nets, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The encounter is life changing. You don't have an encounter with the living God and leave the same way that you came. And I love that God is in the business of using ordinary things for extraordinary purposes as well. We see that God is just using a bush here to call to Moses. God used a snowplow to show us that he was faithful. God uses a bald-headed guy with a beard in his 30s to proclaim the good news to you here this morning. God's using ordinary things to show off the extraordinary purposes that he has in store. After Moses encounters Almighty God, he is changed forever. From here on out, he is no longer shepherd in the land of Midian. He's going to be called to greater things. Not that shepherd in Midian is a lower, poorer thing, but God is calling and is changing him from this encounter. His calling has changed from shepherd of sheep to shepherd of people. He has this encounter with the holy God, creator God, sovereign God, promise-keeping God, the provider God, powerful God. He's got to be like... Moses has got to be enraptured by the awe and the wonder of this moment, thinking that this is the God of his ancestors. 
I wonder, have you had an encounter with God? Do you want an encounter with God? When we're talking about this here right now, I wonder, do you fear having an encounter with God? Like, does that, does that scare you a little bit? Do you doubt that you could have an encounter with God? The encounter is life-changing. Let's move on to point number two, the commission. Let's pick up in verse seven and read through a couple verses. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, verse 10 here, come, I will send you. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So here we have this commission God is in the business of of calling, sending, and saving. That's the bottom line of this section here that I want to highlight. That God has had an encounter with Moses. He has called him to himself. He is now going to send him out after the encounter to do a work of saving others. I think that is is a profound thing for us to, to think about today. Calling, sending, saving. Moses didn't rise up and suddenly decide he needed to put an end to this. Well, did he though? I mean, we, 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 I'll read it to you. Exodus 2, 11 through 12, before he ran away, it says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, seeing that no one was looking, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. I think Moses, Moses did feel like he had to rise up and do something, but it, it wasn't the right timing. It wasn't God's timing, and it, it wasn't God's way. God had a plan for this to come to fruition, but, but Moses was stepping there a little bit too soon and perhaps not in the proper way. And I know it still blows our minds. It blows my mind, right, that, that God, call, excuse me, God calls who he chooses to carry out his tasks He uses who he uses for his glory and the good of his people. David, a man after God's own heart. Well, he had an affair with Bathsheba and orchestrates the death of her husband. Solomon, dubbed the wisest king, ended up adopting pagan practices and spiraling away from honoring God. That might have had something to do with the influence of his 700 wives. What about the apostle Peter, the rock? He slashed off a guard's ear and even denied knowing the living God, denied knowing Christ. But look at all that God has done through Peter. What about the Apostle Paul, writer of most of the the New Testament epistles, great spreader of the gospel? He was persecuting the church. He was trying to destroy the followers of Jesus. He was giving the okay. He was the one giving the okay for stoning the followers of Jesus and sending them to prison and worse. After an encounter with God, Moses' whole life changes, including his purpose, his calling, 
his everything. He is now on mission for God's kingdom purposes to see the captives set free. God calls sinners unto himself and changes sinners with an encounter of his holiness. For us today, it is through Christ by salvation, which happens by grace through faith, and he sends us to work in the kingdom. This man, Moses, was 40 years a prince, 40 years a runaway murderer, and he's about to become 40 years a leader, helping establish God's law among his people, helping lead God's people toward the promised land. This is certainly a holy calling. Ours is no different today. There are lost souls out there in our communities, stuck in bondage by the weight of the world and the schemes of the enemy. We must go and help free them as well. The disciples had this same commission, church. This is the business we are supposed to be about. Let me read it for you in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus knew who he was talking to. He wasn't surprised by the faults and flaws of the disciples who he was with. He's not surprised by the faults and flaws that you bring to the table either. But God has called you unto himself. And from that encounter, he is sending you out because there is a world of lost sinners that need saving as well. And he invites you into that partnership too. He invites you into that mission. That is our joy. That is our responsibility. So let's keep pressing on. We're going to start at verse 11 of Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at Moses' questions. He has a couple of questions. Verse 11 says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses asks two really crucial questions here. Who am I, and who are you? Who am I, and who are you? I think when we better understand who God is, we will begin to better understand who we are. But let's look at this encounter here where, where Moses is called by name. Again, Moses didn't introduce himself to the bush before he met the bush. The bush called to him. God called to Moses directly out of the bush. So this tells me something, that God knows who he's talking to. And I think that might be what is freaking Moses out a little bit here, that he is known, that if this is God of his ancestors and he knows who he is, 
then he knows Moses' history probably too. He knows him intimately. And I imagine with this being bare before the Lord, his sandals are kicked off, his feet are naked. So he, he is known by God now. Not just because of his feet, but God knows who he's talking to. Moses is probably in that moment wrestling with shame, maybe for murdering the Egyptian. Who am I? That, that the God of my ancestors would call me. I'm a murderer. Maybe Moses is wrestling with shame for running away. Maybe he's wrestling with shame because he knows when he returns, he's going to feel small before Pharaoh. Maybe he's wrestling with shame because he's returning to a place where he caused traumatic stress. But God is sending him back there to bring about the redemption of his people. I get it, Moses. I mean, let me just look in the mirror for a second and ask myself, who am I? Who is Seth? Who am I that God would choose me? A, that he called himself to me to be a faithful follower of his and, and, and shed his love on me, shed his blood for me. I mean, like, I'm unworthy of that. None of us are worthy of that, but we get to receive it freely by his grace. By his grace. We just have to have faith. That's a praise. I'm not worthy of that. I don't deserve that. But God is good. God, creator God. This God is the God of his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who are you? Moses says. I am who I am. Or will be what I will be. There is nothing before him. There is nothing after him. In Hebrew, the name for the Lord had four letters. Y-H-W-H and may have been pronounced something like Yahweh. The Jews came to regard this word with such reverence that they would hardly ever speak it, lest they accidentally take the name of the Lord in vain. So whenever they came to this name in their reading, they pronounced the word Adonai, which actually means my Lord. The English versions have basically followed the same pattern. They translate the proper name Yahweh with the word Lord, L-O-R-D, in all caps. Yahweh is God's proper name in Hebrew. Now, one of my, one of my favorite pastors to listen to, um, second to Pastor Aaron, of course, <clears throat> boss. Um, I love listening to Pastor John Piper. Um, not everybody's a big fan of Piper, but Piper brings the, the heat when it comes to the word. And I, I just, I like that kind of speaker towards me sometimes. So um, he said the importance of the name Yahweh can be seen in the sheer frequency of its use. It occurs 6,828 times in the Old Testament. That's more than three times as often as the simple word for God, Elohim, meaning to bind oneself to an oath, which is used 2,600 times. Or El, which means strength or strong one, which is only used 238 times. What this fact shows is that God aims to be known not as a generic deity, but as a specific person with a name that carries his unique character and mission. I'll also note that the word Jehovah originated from an attempt to pronounce the consonants Y-H-W-H with the vowels from the word Adonai. In the oldest Hebrew text, there were no vowels. So it is easy to see how this would happen since whenever Y-H-W-H occurred in the text, the word Adonai was pronounced by the reverend Jew. 
So this name I am emphasizes God's self-existence and unchanging nature. It also suggests that God is the source of all existence and that everything else derives its being from him. In the New Testament, Jesus also uses the name I am to describe himself in statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus is having a conversation with the Sadducees, they're questioning him, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. This Jesus Christ as the writer of Hebrews puts it in 13.8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Moses asked some good questions. Who am I? Who are you? The disciples asked some good questions of God dwelling among us too. The disciples asked, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The disciples asked, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They said this to him while, they, while he was asleep in a boat, right? In a storm. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When we better understand who God is, we will begin to better understand who we are. We are his people. Not because we're Jewish from the same line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Apostle Paul makes that clear in Galatians 3 when he said, In Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As his, he shepherds us to where he wishes to lead us when he wants to lead us there to accomplish what he already has planned for us to do when we get there. He is a sovereign God. Amen? So Moses asked some important questions. I wonder, are you asking an important question today? Don't be afraid to ask it. He can handle your questions. He can handle your doubts. Bring all your questions and cast all your anxieties onto him. Who are you, God? Let's just backtrack to verse 7 for a second, if you'll look there with me. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down. God sees, God hears, and God knows, and God comes down. He is not just an absent deity that is not hands-on. Our God is a God who steps into action. He is personal and transcendent. He sees you, he hears you, he knows you, 
and he has come down to rescue you. Amen? So cool. So let's look at the promises now that are offered to Moses. Uh, Let's look at verse 12. Right after Moses says, Who am I? God's first promise is, I will be with you. I will be with you. He goes on to say in verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites. I was reading this to my kids last night and they're like, dad, that's a lot of ites. I said, I know. It's just groups of people living in the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Um, God is a promise keeper. This is the bottom line of this section of scripture. God is a promise keeper. He says, I will be with you and I promise to bring you up out of the affliction. Let's keep reading in verse 18. They will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God is a promise keeper, friends. When the elders of Israel did agree, God was a promise keeper. When Pharaoh's heart was hardened, God was a promise keeper. When the plagues came, the blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, death, when that all came, God was a promise keeper. When the blood covered the door frames, God was a promise keeper. And when there was no other way at the Red Sea, God was a promise keeper. God was with them, and God brought them up out of the affliction of Egypt because God is a promise keeper. Let's look at some promises God made to the disciples. These are for us today too, friends. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is God's promise to be with you, believer. He is with you. He is in you. You have that power going with you as you live on mission to fulfill the Great Commission today too. And at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, God promises, Jesus says, I am with you always. God promised Moses, I will be with you. He says, I promise I will bring you through it. We have seen that happen. God is a promise keeper. Psalm 33, 4 says, for the the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. I want to wrap up with a couple points here, friends. Listen, I can put my faith in God because he is faithful. 
I can practice obedience to God when he calls me because God is worthy of my obedience. I can depend on his power because he has demonstrated it and we have seen his glory. He said he would do it and he did it. He said it would happen this way and it did. He is almighty, all powerful. He is God. Moses had this encounter, this commission. He raised a couple of good questions and he received these promises from God. And so for us today, I wanna ask you again, have you had a personal encounter with God? And how about your commission? We're on the same mission with the disciples to share the hope of Jesus, to baptize people into the faith, to teach the next generation, to reach the lost. So think, where are your spheres of influence? Where has God called you to be on mission? And he might be calling you to like go on mission. Like we think about missionaries and missions trips, right? He might call you to go on mission and do missional things elsewhere. He's calling a group of us from our student ministry to go to Clarkston, Georgia this summer to partner with Envision to, to take a mobile sports camp to Atlanta and share the hope of Jesus with some kids down there. That's awesome. But he's also calling us to live on mission where we live and dwell today. It's not a, I have to go in order to be on mission. Where he has you planted, you are called to be on mission as well. <clears throat> Moses asks a couple of questions. He questioned God because of needing clarity, because of doubts he had. What questions do you have for God today? And we have a promise. The same promises for us that he is with us. He's with us when we are gathered he promises that he indwells the life of the believer. He promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. And he promises that nothing can separate us from his love through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you believe it today? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for the encounter that Moses had, the commission that he received, the questions that he asked, just that space of vulnerability, God, who am I and who are you? And thank you for the promise that you went with Moses and that you freed the Israelites as you said. Thank you that you stuck to your word and you showed us your glory, you showed us your faithfulness in the way that you redeemed your children out of slavery in Egypt, you redeemed the people, God. We thank you that we can look back and say, God said he was gonna do it and he is keeping his word. He is a promise keeper. God, for us today, I pray for encounters with you. I pray that we would encounter you in your word, that we would encounter you by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would encounter you by fellowship with believers. God, give us the encounter. We're hungry. We need you. God, give us eyes to see where we can be on mission. Give us hearts that yearn for being, reaching the lost in our communities, God, in our spheres of influence, in our, in our workplaces, in our schools, on our sports teams, in our rock bands, wherever we find ourselves dwelling and doing life, God, you have called us to share the hope of Jesus, to rescue the lost. Give us eyes to see and fuel the hunger by the power of your Holy Spirit within us. And God, thank you for prom your promising to be with us and never leaving us, that we go not in our own strength, but by your might and by your power. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.